Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And this is episode 30. We're going to talk about wee wee see see ya ya da da. Wee wee see see ya ya da da. Wee wee see see ya ya da da. That we are uh, one of the later Madness albums, but I'm going to go ahead and say a pretty good one. But before that, let's get on to the communicator. Well, the big news is happy birthday to Lee J. Thompson, who turned 64 on Tuesday, October 5th. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. I, I'm sorry, I didn't get him anything. I'm sure he can shoplift something. Sure. And we did get a message about our previous episode from Robert in Birmingham, who said, I thought the Louis Vaz episode was one of the best so far. Really enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Robert. We enjoyed it, too. And thank you again to Louis, who was just such an amazing storyteller. Uh, that he is. Uh, yeah, just wind him up and let that man go. Uh, he really, yeah, he really went at it. <laughs> Made our jobs <laughs> rather easy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again, Louis. We appreciate you. What time is it? Showtime. All right. So here we go with our album deep dive. We we see see ya ya da da. We we see see ya ya da da. We we see see ya ya da da. That was the album that they released in 2012. Now at this time, Mark Bedford was on hiatus from the band. So he doesn't appear on this album. Uh, on bass, we have Graham Bush, aka Bushers. The album cover was designed by the legendary Sir Peter Blake. Now he's best known, I think, for the uh, Sgt. Pepper's album cover, yeah? Uh, that he is, yeah. And, you know, Suggs had said that the, uh, and something I saw recently that the, the design of the album cover, uh, one, they felt a little slight because so much work went into Sgt. Pepper's and they got that on a legal pad, but, uh, I guess they had asked Peter Blake to do it and they kept changing the name. They couldn't, they couldn't decide on anything. And so the album cover was inspired by the fact that he had to keep crossing it out and starting over again. 
yeah, you can see the original album titles that were considered on this album cover. So a number of different album titles were considered. The Ten Commandments, Dulali, Dial M for Madness, Man of Steel, Circus Freaks, and The Rake's Progress. Now, Polly, you and I were talking before we started recording, and you mentioned uh, that you had the special edition of this album. And the special edition, I believe, is the one that has uh, a different cover, which was also done by Sir Peter Blake. And that actually has characters based on these different titles. So, for example, there's uh, one of the band members dressed as the Man of Steel. And then there's another one where you can see the circus freak. So if uh, Suggs was feeling a little bit ripped off, or if he was feeling a little bit neglected, I guess, uh, then Sir Peter more than made up for it with that special edition cover, yeah? That he did. Uh, although I'm going to say they should be putting out a new album and Dial M for Madness is a, a fantastic album title. Well, that was, uh, what was the, there was a, a film, Dial M for Murder, right? Was that a Hitchcock film? Uh, actually, no, I think that's an Agatha Christie title, isn't it? Oh, it might be. It might be. And, you know, I should know that because, like, I've read every single Agatha Christie book that's out there. I should know that. So the album debuted at number 10 in the UK album charts on the 4th of November in 2012. It never charted in the US, uh, neither did any of the singles, although uh, in the UK it did eventually reach gold status. What makes this album differ from many of the previous albums is that there were in fact five different producers and more or less all you know devoting their attention to one or a couple of the tracks. Uh, also notable, uh, this sort of marks at about the beginning um, or at least in earnest uh, the inclusion of strings on many of the tracks. So in there you'll hear cello, violin, and even a harp. All right, so let's get into the tracks. And starting first, it's a Monsieur Barzon composition. It is My Girl 2. Lately, I've been wondering about you and the things you do. I'm in love, but you drive me mad, be so sad to be losing you last night when we had that fight in your car left me at the bar then i see her talking to her friends acting like she just don't care she has flair and how she moves with such grace like she owned the space she's so fine she looks so cool got no time So, Lori, give me your thoughts on that. We've talked about this one a little bit before, but what are you thinking? No, sir, I didn't like it. You don't? I, now, I don't recall that from our previous conversations. What, what do you got against it? I think it's kind of lazy. Um, I mean, even just calling the song My Girl 2, which implies a sequel, but it's not. It's an entirely different girl. What he's describing... I, I don't I don't see the appeal my girl don't read books that's sorry that's a deal breaker for me you don't read books 
I just, I don't care for the, the, the melody. I don't care for the beginning that we, we, see, see, yeah, yeah, da, da. I don't we, know. we, see, see, yeah, yeah, da, da. We, we, see, see, yeah, yeah, da, da. Oh, that drives me insane. I, yeah. We're not off to a great start here. What do you think of this one, Polly? Well, Lori, here's where we part ways. Uh, I, I actually think it's uh, one of the stronger tracks on the album. You know, we've gone over before what I like about a Madness song. So it does have that upbeat fun aspect to it i like the structure of the song and i think we've talked about it before where i've pointed out that it's got um uh, uh same chord progression as the uh, sesame street theme song maybe that's it maybe there's something subliminal going on with me uh but also um i like the idea even if it falls a little bit short like you said in uh terms of it being uh, a continuation of the original My Girl song, which I, I'll, I'll give it to you. I don't think it does continue it that particularly well. Um, I I really thought you might go for it based on the idea that this guy is pining something wicked and he is throwing on the accolades about this woman. Um, so you know, I think it's I think it's charming. I think it's endearing, and uh, yeah, I like it. I love the I love how the, the they use the Bob Fosse uh video and uh the first time i'd actually seen that was um watching the band in in wales uh and that came on the big screen behind them and the whole time i was saying holy shit how did they actually choreograph some 60s late 60s ish looking um uh you know a dance scene with uh, the photography even matching the 60s, some peculiar uh, half-balding guy with a big ginger mustache in it. I'm kind of like, this does not look like a modern video. How did they make it fit so perfectly? Um, and it was, yeah, it was fantastic. I thought it was incredible. And, and see, the, the video is another thing that I kind of thought was lazy. You know, it's just you're taking found footage and we're using that. I, you know. Oh, but it's it, the timing is flawless on it. I think it's great. You know, I'll I'll give you that. And actually, um, uh, Nick Egan, who's a, a a video producer, he's done videos for like Duran Duran, Alanis Morissette, a few other things. Uh, he recently just did a video for an artist artist named Merchant, and it has that same kind of idea where he's got the choreography and the found footage and he's putting it together to make this video with this found footage. And uh, yeah, I think Madness, Madness beat him to it. Madness did it first. So, um, so Polly, you, as you mentioned, there's five different producers on this album. So My Girl 2 was actually produced by Liam Watson. And it was the first official single released off of the album. The single was re released September 30th, 2012. So we had an anniversary just a few days ago. It was also released download only. So, you know, we had mentioned in previous episodes where the band, uh, by creating their own uh, label, they kind of could control their own songs and their own releases. And one of the things that I guess came with that is the idea that they could release their own singles. And since they did download only, they didn't have to do uh, a B-side. 
yes, consequently, it uh, made charting uh, that much more difficult in 2012. Um, it wasn't quite as easy uh, for the tracking companies to know who's downloading and who's purchasing and how to really figure out that metric. So it's not surprising that the singles didn't chart. Okay, so next up we have another Mike Barson composition produced by Stephen Street. This song is called Never Knew Your Name. Let's listen. Well, I thought you were nice, I even told you so. But you smiled so shyly and said to me, I bet you say that to all the girls you meet, but it isn't so. Yes, the club was closing, so we had to leave. We walked out together just a little at ease. I would have loved to have walked you home, but you said you'd catch the bus, so I ended up alone. I never knew your name, nor your telephone number. Will I ever see you? Okay, so that was the second single off of the album, also released as a download only, January 2013. Polly, how do you like this one? Never knew your name. Uh, I guess I'd say I'm all right with it. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a departure for the band. Um, and of course, it's got um, uh, very uh, much the same structure and tempo as the Gloria Gaynor song, I Will Survive. So, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of not my thing that much. Um, so, you know, I think it was a, a, an honest effort, but uh, just generally not one of my favorites. And of course, you and I are going to disagree on this one, too. I really like this one. Uh, it, it's because it does have that kind of a disco vibe. I mean, it really reminds me of a lot of the music that I used to hear on the on my little purple transistor radio in the late 70s you know and i like the fact that it includes a full string section it's got the cello the harp the violas the violins it is a departure you're absolutely right it, it is light years away from the ska stuff that we heard in in the late 70s but i really like it so there i'll i'll have to live with it uh third up then We've got a Suggs and Chrissy Boy composition. It's La Luna. Oh, the places I remember From the moment I was born From Battersea to Birmingham Memories forlorn just faint wafts of nostalgia Blowing gently on the breeze I sit among the evergreen Of all I have received Estrellas y la luna The rays are breaking through Out come the twinkling stars Shining down on you Well, I'm in and out the window So, Lori. Let's hear it. What's your take? How, how are we going to disagree on this one, Lori? Oh, well, this one has a, a special place in my heart because 
It is co-produced by John Avila from one of my favorite bands, Oingo Boingo, one of my all-time favorite bands. And John also arranged the mariachi trumpet, the strings and the vocals. And you can really hear his influence on this, right? You know, John Avila being, you know, Mexican-American, that kind of mariachi sound. I dig this one. What do you think? Uh, I, I think it's actually, you know, probably my second or third favorite on the album. Quite, quite obvious, uh, the um, mariachi intro, but uh, then it switches from mariachi sound into uh, a tango time signature, and then it still brings in mariachi horns throughout the song too. For northern type folks like us, uh, we might not be familiar with either mariachi or tango, but generally speaking, um, there is a bit of a firewall between those two types of music. They're not always paired together. So I found that was pretty interesting how they did that. But leave it to somebody like Madness, you know, who's also probably, you know, a little unfamiliar with it. They had a grain of an idea. They went with it and uh, it got this just fantastic sounding song. Yeah, I really like it. Okay, so we do agree on this one then, huh? Yeah. Okay. It's so still early. All right, we'll see what happens. Yeah, anything can happen at this point. We're only on the third track. Um, so I mentioned John Avila. The other producer on this track was Charlie Andrew, by the way. Our next song on the album is How Can I Tell You? It was written by Suggs and Carl and produced by Stephen Street. Let's listen. Communication is a skill you must acquire. It will help you through your life. essential you have to walk into this world with your head held high be fluid child don't become crystalline you're gonna have to swim with the molecules how can i tell you you have to open up your heart how can i tell you be honest from the very start make a stand for what is true Try to be decent in all that you do How can I tell you? You've got to give to get support How can I tell you? A little effort and a lot more How to feel Check the wonder in all that you see Polly? How can I tell you? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I, I like the song uh, I think it falls uh, safely in the spectrum of uh, stuff that is classified as the madness type song. Uh, yeah, it's fairly playful. Uh, I think I've probably said before, I'm sure I've said it before, uh, I don't tend to dwell a great deal on lyrics or meanings of songs, but uh, I always get the sense this was a uh, a father talking to his child kind of thing. Communication is a skill you must acquire. It is essential. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think so too. I like it a lot. I, I think that's one of the endearing qualities that it has. You know, the first time I heard it, you know, that introduction, communication is a skill you must acquire. I'm thinking, what is this, you know, motivational speaker? But I got to tell you, it really grew on me very quickly. I've also seen some footage from live shows where the crowd really gets into this one a lot. It's a fun song and, and it's catchy. And it's one of those that, and you might've heard me earlier 
Polly, I was singing it. I couldn't get it out of my head. It's going to be stuck in my head for the next day or two now. So, uh, so I like this one. And uh, this was the third single off the album. It was released April 8th, 2013. All right. So the fifth song on the album, it's Kitchen Floor. And it's a composition by Woody and friend of the show, his brother, Nick Woodgate. Let's take a listen. I do believe we've talked about this before. I do believe I know what you're thinking, but uh, let's let the listeners know. How do you like it? Oh, it's very naughty. It's very naughty. I, you, you know, I think the first time I heard this, I think I blushed a little bit, to be honest. Of course, I mean, I was in my office with other faculty. Um, I, I enjoy this song a lot, though. I, I enjoy this song. Um, I think it's one of the stronger tracks on the album, actually. How about you? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. It's one of the stronger uh, tracks on the album. Um, I don't want to keep saying that. I think we might get in a little bit of trouble because there's still many more songs to go. Uh, and you can't say it's one of the stronger tracks on the album, about more than half of them, I wouldn't think. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do like the song. Uh, and again, a little bit of a departure from what we expect from. Uh, from our boys. Um, yeah, I definitely like it a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, knowing and having become friendly with, um, with Nick uh, doesn't hurt that at all. I th think I might even appreciate it a little bit more. Such a sweet guy. You know, I think that's true of me too. I think now that we've met him, we've spoken with him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I do appreciate his songwriting a little bit more. So uh, the producer on this one was Owen Morris. And why do I know that name, Polly? That name is sounding familiar. What is he? Who is he? Do you know? Uh, that was the that was the uh, the large orange cat from the Nine Lives commercial. I see. Moving on. All right. Next up, we have uh, Carl wrote this one. This is a song called Misery, also produced by Owen Morris. So that was Misery. 
Polly, how do you like Misery? Uh, well, I do like uh, like it a great deal. Uh, it's got that sing-song quality. Uh, and just a couple of listens, you can probably learn all the words. Um, it doesn't hurt that um, it's, uh, you know, Chaz wrote it. And I think it's got a bit of that Irish sensibility to it. Um, you know, it's a, it's fairly folky, but it's um, upbeat. Uh, you know, there's not a lot to, not a lot to dislike about it. No, I still dislike it. What? I don't like it. It's, uh, it, it's childish. It sounds like a, a playground taunt, you know, go suck on a silver spoon. I can do without this one. Although I will say this much, I do really like the video. The video looks like it was done probably in Adobe Flash. Uh, that's my best guess. I mean, the computer animation. Uh, and I actually used to do that for many years. I used to work in Adobe Flash. So I really appreciate what went into the video. And I really enjoy the video. But uh, yeah, the song, no, not feeling it. Sorry. And again at number, <clears throat> sorry, slipped into a little bit of Casey Kasem there. And again, at number seven, it's <laughs> seventh song on the album, it is Leon. And again, it's a composition by Woody and Nick Woodgate. Let's take a listen. Looks across the fields that lie across the playground. Dreams of life beyond the gates and far from this town. Trapped inside a room with boring little children Leon dreams of life outside his hollow building He is stuck inside his head and in a world It feels like running out and on All right, Lori. So here we have Leon. It was produced by Charlie Andrew. Another one, very heavy on the string section. Uh, what are your thoughts about it? This is a good one. I like this one. Lyrically, subject matter wise, it kind of harkens back to Primrose Hill. You know, the idea, Primrose Hill was we have a guy who's, you know, agoraphobic. I don't know if we have the same character in Leon, but there's definitely some similarities, you know what I mean? Where he's a bit of an outcast, maybe not really comfortable around people, not comfortable in his own skin. Uh, and and I, I like that as a subject matter. And, and, you know, musically, I think it's a good song too. How about you? I, I do love this song actually. Um, I, and yes, there's no doubt there are um, some similarities to Primrose Hill there. Um, I even wondered uh, whether it might be about um, even a younger person, perhaps even a child, and it's just his miserable existence uh, rather than, you know, uh, an adult maybe with agoraphobia. But, you know, again, uh, with a song like this, I think I'm going to tune in a little bit more to the music and the melody than, than the lyrics. So, so nobody write to us about that saying I got it all wrong. <laughs> well, if anybody's going to write to us, it's going to be Nick. 
That's right, probably. And and you know, I wonder maybe if a little bit of this song might not be semi-autobiographical for Nick. I mean, because when he chatted with us, one of the things that he told us is that he is agoraphobic. Um, and that was part of the reason why he had such a hard time touring, for example. So, you know, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I think that anytime you, you're creating art, whether it's, you know, visual arts or whether it's a song or whatever, you do put a little bit of yourself into it. So I wonder, you know, if that's not the case here, if maybe there's not a little bit of Nick and Leon. That it, that it could be. Okay, so next up we have Circus Freaks. That was at one time the working title of the album, uh, written by Lee and by Woody. Here it comes. Our connections are sugar sweet. So strap up, take it all in your stride. How can't anybody help us? Why should anybody care? Circus Freaks. Well, I, I do. I do like it. A bit uh, somber, I think, comparatively to some of the other tracks. Um, you know, there's a, that Calliope uh, type of intro to it. Um, so, you know, they're they're establishing a theme, and you know, it kind of does run throughout the song. Um, but yeah, you know, it's. I think it's a bit of, you know, maybe based about relationship anxiety or things like that but uh yeah i mean it's, it's a solid effort um there you go I, I got nothing else okay okay so we'll leave it at that um yeah so that was another one that was produced by owen morris we have another jazz smash composition uh, the ninth song on the album it is so alive when i first saw you you were the one I've been waiting for, the one who had my heart I saw it in your eyes, girl, then I realized it's you You put back passion in my day, you lift my life You woke me up, my darling, every single night I feel this fire inside, and I know the cause of it is you So, so alive, another one produced by Owen Morris. Lori, what are your thoughts on it? I could take it or leave it. I mean, it's it's okay. You know, it's 
I wish it had been like the love and rockets so alive you know what I mean I wish they'd done that one that would have been just amazing I think this is one of those and I'm going to say this on a number of tracks where it's not that it is a bad song it is just that it does not rise to the level that I expect from madness I think if somebody else had done this I think it might have been a, a better song but because we've come to expect so much from madness uh, this one just doesn't quite rise to, to my expectations. What do you think? Yeah, so so it's it's good in one respect, I feel, in that it is, you know, an upbeat, jaunty ska tune that Madness does so well. But then on the other hand, um, it's also fairly standard, as though um, if you were to say, you know, jaunty, upbeat, Madness song, and throw it into some computer algorithm, it would probably spit out something like this. I think you just hit on something there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a very sweet song, you know. So it's 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 uh, it's it's very much you know like words that you would have had uh, you know, written on a Valentine card or something like that. So in in that aspect, it's a little bit different for Madness. But yeah, you know, instrumentally and song structure wise writing wise it's very you know very plain you know reliable it's a it's a honda you know it's it's like it's it's safe it's very safe yeah it's safe yeah all right well next up we have uh very unusual in that it was written solely by woody and as we talked about in our woody episode he didn't really write a lot of songs by himself so this one is called small world I sat and watched the crowds in London I know each road by name Today the streets are cold and empty Cause no one likes the rain I soon lost count of all the cars That burn so bright outside the bars Deserted streets and burning shells Familiar shops I know so well Today the birds no longer twitter The words don't make it true Small world. What do you think, Polly? Uh, it's, it's great. I think it's really good that Disney went and built that a, a ride for them for this song um but uh no i mean it's uh, I, I don't like it uh as much as other stuff it's got a bit of an anthemic feel to it um and a bit chanty and in the chorus and yeah it's you know good on him for trying i think the um the intent and the feel of the song is is admirable but uh yeah it just doesn't do a great deal for me. See, and the things that you don't like are the things that I like about it. Um, and I really, really like the funky bass. It reminds me of a Talking Heads song. Um, I do like the kind of anthemic or chanty nature of it. I, you know, that that that's fun to me. You know, that kind of a song. It's worth noting here that Woody's wife Shaban is singing backing vocals on this one. And for the 11th song on the album, we have yet another 
jazz smash composition. It is Death of a Rude Boy. It was the death of a rude boy. He had a certain way with women. He was netty and the men had rhythm. He was known in all kinds of places. Death of a Rude Boy. Uh, not a single, but it was a pre-release giveaway download, and it was released on the 12th of August in 2012. And it's one of the songs produced by Stephen Street. So, Lori, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I'm trying to think back to how I felt the first time I heard it. So, August 2012, I mean, we were, we were chomping at the bit waiting for something new from madness and so any little crumbs that they threw us we went crazy over i remember thinking i did kind of like this one it, it reminds me i think a little bit more of some of their i guess more classic music in some respects um also i think this is the only one on the album that carl sings on is that is my recollection correct on that polly i think so I think you're right. Which, which is really kind of a shame, you know? I mean, the ones where, where they're sharing lead singing duties, I think have been stronger albums, in my opinion. I would have liked to hear more of Carl on this album than just this one song. But, uh, but I digress. Um, what do you think of Death of a Rude Boy? Uh, I, I do like the song. Uh, there is one peculiar um, element of it in the song structure. And that's that it, this, uh, you know, has a bit of a, a driving, you know, upbeat tempo for all of the songs verses. And then it goes into the chorus being the death of a rude boy, where the pacing is really stretched right out and, and, and the um, chorus is dragged out. Now that's, that in and of itself makes it a little bit different because it's far easier songwriting to go from a low, uh, tempo delivery in verses and then pick it up in the chorus compared to the other way which is generally speaking if you slow the tempo of the song delivery down on a chorus it's generally done um, only when there's harmonies happening so it's sort of a bit lilting and it kind of bottoms out a little bit in the chorus so that's that's my only thing close to a criticism. Aside from that, I think it's actually pretty good. Holly, maybe you could explain for our listeners because uh, as an American, I wasn't aware of the term rude boy, right? And so, and we're not talking about a young man who has bad manners, right? What exactly is a rude boy? Well, so that was, you know, taken from the, the, the um, you know, late fifties, mid sixties, you know, inner city Jamaica. 
when they were going through such uh, dire economic times um, that uh, you know there was many people uh, left to you know fend for themselves either you know up to shenanigans on the streets, low-level crime, things like that. So a rude boy became almost like a generic term for young men up to no good. Now that developed into a rude boy sort of style as well, you know, so it, it transitioned into a look, uh, you know, way of wearing your hat, things to make other rude boys, you know, um, make yourself easily identified by other rude boys. And so that persisted. And of course, when the British Sky Revival or Two-Tone Era crept up, um, you know, we already had uh, skinheads, um, the skinhead movement in the UK, and it was, uh, you know, easily adapted by, by them, you know, and the term just stuck as well to, you know, urban, urban youth. I guess the equivalency, although it would be a, a couple decades apart, punk, right? It used to right, be sure. if you'd said somebody was a punk, you know, it used to mean, yeah, that they're they're, you know, a troublemaker, they're up to no good, right? And then it started to kind of become associated with a particular scene, with a particular music scene, particular fashion scene. And I think maybe Rude Boy was kind of the same thing, where maybe it started off having one connotation and then kind of melded with the the music the fashion of the the Jamaican ska scene and kind of became to identify with that. I, th I think you've got it just right. Okay, thank you, Professor Polly. You're welcome. Okay, so now we're coming to what are called the bonus tracks. Now this is a little bit of a misnomer because these tracks appear on all versions of the album, but they're nonetheless promoted as bonus tracks. Uh, so the first of the bonus tracks, this was written by Mike Barson with Suggs. It's called Powder Blue. On and off the sofa, the candle's nearly out. Our pop star friends have all gone home, or maybe just out and about. And I can feel you dreaming, and I'm dreaming. Together slowly drifting into the powder blue, into the powder blue, into the powder blue, into the powder blue. Okay, so that's powder blue with backing vocals by Vanessa Quinones, who's the lead singer of Vanessa and the O's. How do you like Powder Blue? Well, I, I guess the first thing I'd say about Powder Blue is there is a remarkable, remarkable amount of similarities uh, between this song and Wider Shade of Pale. Uh, so much so that I would argue either it's a straight out homage to the song, or uh, maybe they had listened to it you know, in close proximity to writing the song or recording the song. But, you know, of course, it first starts out with that very, very ominous um, organ opening and, um, you know, then transitions into that, you know, very same pace, uh, very same thematically. And, uh, you know, it's not lost on me either that the, 
the two song titles are very similar. Powder blue, you know, almost indicating a uh, a pastel type of color, you know, whiter shade of pale. I just think there's an awful lot going on uh, between powder blue and the Procol Harem song. And you know, given that I'm not that much of a fan of um, of uh, whiter shade of pale, I'd say by extension, not that much of a fan of this song. You know, and that's so interesting because I've never made that connection between uh, Procol Harum and uh, and Madness. Never would have made that connection in a million years. So now you realize when we're done, I'm going to go listen to that and listen to them back to back again. Um, it's a very pretty song. I don't know that it's one that I would go out of my way to listen to. But, you know, it is notable because I think it's the one track on the album on which Clive Langer shares a producer credit. So, you know, as, as we know, uh, Clive Langer and Alan Wynn Stanley produced a lot of the band's earlier work. So this is like, I guess he's coming back and doing this as a one-off with Charlie Andrew. So um, it's a pretty song. I'm starting to feel like they're all over the map with this album. You know what I mean? And I, I think it's, a, I don't know if it's because of all the different producers. I'm not picking up on any kind of theme. It really kind of seems like let, as you have said before, Polly, in some of our other episodes, let's throw it all up at the wall and see what sticks. And that kind of feels like what they're doing here on this album. It's really not very cohesive. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. There's an awful lot of uh, different styles and dabbling in different genres on this. And, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes not so much. Yeah. That's good uh, podcast right there when I say, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the 13th song, that would be Black and Blue. It is written by Mike Barson and uh, another one produced by Charlie Andrew. Let's take a listen. Hanging around your house again. I feel so out of place. Going to the corner shop The man from outer space Seems so very long ago When we stayed up through the night Like those days would never end Right then, Lori, mm. let the people know what you think about Black and Blue. Well, you know, both of these color-related tracks, Powder Blue and, and Black and Blue, they kind of feel like throwaways to me. I mean, they feel like they could have been B-sides, and maybe that's why they labeled them quote-unquote bonus tracks. It's just okay. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not very memorable for me. What do you think? Uh, yeah, kind of the same thing. It's a very Madness-esque song. So um, it's not surprising it made it on. Maybe there's some merit to your theory about this. Maybe uh, could have been intended for a B-side. But, um, you know, it's, it's very Mike Barson. He's a prolific writer. Uh, it's no surprise that, uh, you know, stylistically, it's got him written all over it. But like you said, it's... 
it's a, it's fairly standard not unlike uh so alive it's you know it's let's write a madness song and they did but you know it's good but not great so we actually do agree on this one then i think we do so finally we have my girl 2 the clive langer and charlie andrew mix which as you might guess is produced by Clive Langer and Charlie Andrew. Let's listen. We we see see ya ya da da. We we see see ya ya da da. Oh, lately I've been wondering about you and the things you do. I'm in love, but you drive me mad. Be so sad. one Polly I do like the mix um I'm not gonna claim I like it better than the lead off album track would that be what we would refer to it or maybe the intended version for the album um you know it's definitely get the bass up front uh you know a little bit higher level on um some of the keyboards but uh, aside from that not radically different I think it may be pretty heavy on uh, I think that's a drum machine yeah I don't think that's Woody but uh, yeah you know, it's not radically different enough I can't say I love the original song and then say well I don't like this uh, you know it's different but um, yeah I'm, okay. I'm fine with it I think that drum machine kills it for me I mean I like this one even less <laughs> than the original <laughs> so there you have it so that brings us to the end of the album and so this is where we kind of talk about our general feelings about the album. Where, where is where is we we see see ya ya da 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 we we see see ya ya da da in the uh, the madness repertoire for you? I mean, well, um, to use a sort of parallel from a a, a different medium. We as consumers of the arts are very comfortable breaking down an actor's portfolio into different eras. Um, we're a little less eager to do that with music. We want everything sounding like 1979 when it comes to madness. And um, I don't think that's particularly fair for Madness. I don't think it's particularly fair for any other artist. Um, the album is a little bit disjointed, but so far as in the hierarchy of other Madness albums, this came along at, uh, what, year 33 to 35, something like that. And um, it's capable of hearkening back a little bit to the original sound of Madness. It um, is capable of harking, harkening back to the middle period of madness, but it's essentially a grown-up 
Adult Madness album. And if we were talking about, you know, Paul Newman, you know, we would we wouldn't be constantly referring to his Cool Hand Luke phase when he did so many great things later on in life too. So um, yeah, you know, I I'm fine with it. I've learned over the years that if you've got one of your favorite childhood artists putting out an album and you get six out of 12 tracks that you really, really like, it's a huge win. And for me, I'm really thinking that there's seven or eight songs on this album that I'm really quite fond of. So Hmm. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it and put a big W up there and say, they can continue to do albums of this quality and I'm going to continue to love it. Hmm. I don't think it's necessarily fair to say, you know, well, you know, we want them to go back to the 1979 sound. That's not true of all of us. I mean, I adored Norton Folgate and Norton Folgate was nothing like their original sound. I don't know. I mean, it feels kind of like the leftovers. It feels like, you know, we had, we got all the good stuff with Norton Folgate and now it kind of feels like we're getting stuff that's just kind of so-so. And again, I realize I'm probably being unfairly harsh because the previous album was just so freaking good that I think anything afterwards I'm going to be disappointed by. As I said earlier, I think I'd like to see more of Carl. I think, you know, uh, I think he needs to come to the forefront a little bit more. I'd also like to see some kind of cohesion. Like I said, it's just all over the map. Too many cooks in the kitchen, too many producers in the studio. One extreme to the other with with my love for the band, right? Going, oh my gosh, starting Fullgate, angels on high to this. Maybe I'm being unfairly harsh. I, I recognize that. Now, Polly, what's your favorite track off the album? And what's your least favorite track? Oh, wow. So I actually, I forgot how we do this. Um, So I didn't think of my least favorite track, but I would gather probably uh, my least favorite track is going to be Powder Blue. But my favorite track is definitely going to be Leon. The chorus of it, this big, bold, um, shouting almost chorus, uh, very different for the boys but uh, works really, really well. I mean, I think that the song in itself has a great deal going on for us. Nick and Woody could have given it to a million other people and it would have been fantastic. Uh, And thankfully we just got to hear our boys do it. So yeah, I'm just right in love with that song. And and I'd argue it was probably one of my more uh, favorite Madness songs, you know, maybe even ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it is a good song. It is, I, it's definitely, I think, one of the one of the best songs on the album. I'll give you that. What about what about you, Lori? Go ahead, uh, tell me uh, your favorite. I've been back and forth on this. I think my favorite is probably going to be "How Can I Tell You." I think it has to be just because that's that's the one that I just keep coming back to and singing. Least favorite is going to be "Misery," hmm. and. I got to tell you, it's disappointing for me, too, because when somebody mentions Misery by Madness, of course, the first thing I think of is uh, Shame and Scandal. Oh, 
misery, shame and scandal in the family. And that one I love, right? So it always gets my hopes up for a second. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, this is the one I don't like. <laughs> so Polly, you chose our closing song this week. Can you tell us what you chose? So from the Mad Not Cancer tribute to Madness by the Specialized Project, I chose My Girl too. The version covered by Matt Neal and Horace Panter, the honorable Horace Panter. Um, I just love this version. And I do uh, have uh, a fondness for Matt Neal and nothing but the most utmost respect for Horace Panter. So it was an easy pick for me. Horace Panter, of course, being the bass player for the, the specials. Thank you again for listening, everybody. It's a goodbye for me. And it's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. So cool, but there's no doubt she's so bad.